Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I thank you for joining us today on this broadcast. My name is William Rogers, and I'll be speaking today on Revelation chapter 10. We finished up chapter 9. It took a couple of weeks to do that. Now today we're going to begin another chapter in this exciting book. As you may know, or you may not know, if you have not been joining us, but I'm working my way through the entire book. And what a, what a tremendous time this is to be going through the book of Revelation. I've been asked so much lately if I see uh, how much I'm seeing in the world today as far as getting ready for the second coming. And I, it's just overwhelming. Uh, even this that uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine is it's just, I think, all part of the bigger stage being set. And so I get excited going into the book of Revelation to be able to teach it. And so today I want to begin teaching in chapter 10. And for the context I want to give you, uh, it's found in Revelation 10. I'm going to begin reading from verse 1, probably go through verse 7, and, uh, and then I will uh, begin sharing some things from the Scriptures. Now the title of my message today is, is this, Is God Still in Control? And then we'll direct our thoughts and attention on that in just a minute. So the, for the reading of God's Word, I encourage you to take a copy of uh, your copy of the Bible and open it up to Revelation chapter 10, and I'll begin reading, uh, beginning in verse 1, for the context. So the Word of God reads, beginning in verse 1, chapter 10, Revelation, verse 1. And I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets." I suppose from time to time, many of us uh, probably have asked, at least thought the question. We may not have asked it out loud. But the question would be, is God still in control? And I know that is a temptation to ask that question because so often we, uh, we see things that just seem to go on and on and on. Uh, I've had so many parents or, or people coming in, to me and asking me uh, different questions about God's control uh, and, and wanting their, their loved ones to be saved, and they, they just seem to just, it goes on and on, prayer after prayer after prayer, year after year, and they just want to know, when is God going to speak? When is he going to do something? And is he really in control? And I've had certain people ask this from time to time about their own lives or, or in relation to someone's suffering. And so it's a question that's very real as we go through the Scriptures as we go through this journey called life, to ask such questions. Well, this question is not out of the ordinary for this text as well. As I read Revelation chapter 10, I think this question comes up uh, for me uh, a lot in this chapter. Now, you'll notice the words, is God still in control, is not in this text. But 
I think it uh, I think it rings true for the overall bigger meaning of this this chapter, uh, and so it becomes one that's uh, real for me to to even ask it. But I think men have been crying and crying for God to intervene throughout all of history. All of the pain and the horror and the disease and the destruction, the lies, the deception of the world. Uh, it just seems to get worse and worse. And it just seems like we, we, we wonder, is God silent? When is he going to speak? When will God break through his seeming silence? Now, of course, he's not silent. God is speaking and God is at work, and there is action, but just sometimes we just don't see it. Well, I think the Lord has promised that the day will come when the mystery of His silence will be broken. And I say that because as I'm looking at the book of Revelation, and I'm thinking about all that they have been through, at this point in the, in the, in the timeline of Revelation and the tribulation period, uh, by the time chapter 10 gets here, as far as real time on earth, uh, the world has been through so much. And you have to remember, many, many people are being saved. Of course, many are also saved and persecuted and killed. We've already seen an accumulation of those people in heaven in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. And uh, we've looked at those. But you have to ask, are these people going to be able to, to make it? These that are have become Christians. Think about for 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 a moment. You becoming a Christian during this time of just puzzle, mystery, uh, heartache, destruction, all evil, all that is in the world at this particular time. And you become a Christian, and you know others who have become a Christian, trying to survive. And and when I say that, it's going to be tough. You you know, I looked at the war pictures this this day of all that's going on in Ukraine with Russia invading. And it's just a heartache to see that all that how much their life has changed from just 24 hours ago. And and as bad as that is, the tribulation period is going to be much, much worse. For in it, it's going to affect everybody in the world. It's going to be a universal judgment. It's going to come down just rapid fire and and over a a duration, a, a period of time. And so I would imagine the believers are going to be asking, when will God speak when is when will he break through this this confusion and this noise of destruction and this evil that's so present? Because remember, in chapter nine, they're going to see uh, the, the the vastness of the demons uh, coming out in two different invasions. In chapter nine, one through twelve, one invasion, then thirteen through twenty-one, a second invasion, where a two hundred million army of demons is going to go throughout the world, killing one third. Of the people. Man, the people are bound to be saying, Lord, what is going on? But I think there's coming a day, and that day is the time of the seventh angel blowing his seventh trumpet, the great mystery of, uh, of this about God, that he is seemingly silent, not acting, at the councils and all the purposes of God concerning men in the world will be consummated. Christ is coming. The kingdom will be established. Satan will be stopped. He will be put in chains and bonds and locked up and delivered to a prison. And with him, all of the demons, all of that is going to stop. Righteousness will rule. Knowledge will fill the earth. Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And God is going to continue speaking. 
At that time, the Bible tells us the curse on earth will be lifted. I tell you, we're headed towards that kingdom. In, in this point in the tribulation, it's getting really close. Within just a few years of the kingdom coming. And I, I tell you, I'm going to have so much more to say about that. But at that time, just generally speaking, the curse on earth will be lifted. The desert will blossom like a rose. And life will be long. Enemies in, in all places across the earth will become friend. Holiness will prevail. And the last of mysteries will be revealed. It's just going to be breathtaking what's going to happen. Hopes and broken marriages and broken families and broken towns and broken cities and nations will be healed. Tears, blood, sweat, sorrow, death will find their proper place without despair. And all those who mock God saying, where is God? The agnostics, the atheists, the unbelievers and scoffers will say and have said, where is his coming will be silenced because he will come. It That time is rapidly approaching. And the people on earth actually need that. You see, in chapter 11, verse 14, the second woe is past, it says, and the third woe is about to come. This chapter 10 is an interlude. It's a space. It's a period of pause. And so before the seventh trumpet is blown there, uh, an interlude takes place, and the interlude is chapter 10. It gives John a chance just to think or to get a grip on what is being revealed to him as for us as well. So there's coming a day when the seventh angel blows, a moment that will come when there will be no more delay. It says that at the end of verse 6 in chapter 10. Listen to what it says. And swore by him who created or who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and the things in it, the earth, the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there shall be delay no longer. This is a message to John, that there will be delay no longer. Jesus Christ will come. But before, before blowing that trumpet, uh, which will incorporate the seven bold judgments, John is given this interlude. Now, to have an interlude before this final judgment is not something that's unusual. It's already happened, and I don't want to go through all of that again, but I want you to know that this interlude comes before the final judgment. It's intended to encourage and comfort God's people in the midst of the fury of God's judgment. And I really think that this is what this is. Now, I won't know all of what this is. I mean, I'm, we're not, basically, the church won't be here. But there will be Christians here. And it's a, it's a time for them to be encouraged. It's a grasp on the breath in which God can comfort his people who, having gone through the first six of each of these judgments, are feeling the heat and the fury of judgment. These interludes are to remind God's people that God is still sovereign. His people uh, are, are still remembered and will be ultimately victorious. So if we come to 10, this is the longest of the interludes. And it is just getting ready before that that trumpet sounds. And it is a, it's a time that's seen as, I think, interesting, because as we're looking at the interlude, as I said, chapter 10, verse 1, through eleven fourteen, that's the section of interlude. Its purpose is to remind all, including Christians alive at that time, that when these judgments hit the earth, it's a sign. It means that the kingdom is coming and that the kingdom will come. It's all a confirmation that the kingdom is close. I mean, it's going to look so bleak and so black that they have gone through all of these seals. They have gone through the six trumpets. It's easy 
it would easily appear as if the whole universe is disintegrating, that they're going to get caught uh, up in the fury of it all, and they're going to perish with the rest. I would imagine that that is going to be the feeling, that there is going to be a, a sense of hopelessness in, in believers. And so this is a pause here to remind them, yes, God is still sovereign, and God is in control. I think it's a message for all of us today, no matter how bleak things look, no matter what Russia decides to do, no matter how foolish and, and ignorant our government's response to situations seems to be, whether it's the southern border, whether it's uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine, whether it's uh, uh, depleting our, 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 the, uh, the pipeline. Uh, there's so many things that can be confusing. We have to believe, if we believe the Scriptures, and we, we're trusting Him for our salvation, God is still sovereign. There are still people who need to know that. And in the tribulation will be no different. He who knows who they are, and they are going to trump, try be triumphant, this is an encouragement to them as well as it is for people today. The world by now, as you remember from the sixth seal, is literally engulfed in demons. That's all we've been doing for three weeks is talking about demons during the tribulation period. They're coming out of hell itself. Sin has reached the proportions never imagined in human history. And in the midst of these invasions of demons and sin, Christians need to be comforted. And that is by saying this, God is still in control. So we ask that question, don't we, even today. When sin is rampant, it's almost like, if you really want to get an example of this, read the first chapter of Habakkuk. Where God, where Habakkuk looks at God and says, "God, do something," and that's almost like the way, the way we feel today as believers. And you have to: Is God still in control? And they will ask it for sure. Then we keep asking it now, and we will ask it as things get worse and worse and worse. And here comes the answer in this text: There is a divine intermission to show that God is still in control. He will triumph. He will act in victory. He will take control, destroy the wicked, and he will bring into this world his kingdom into which righteousness will will enter now that is a general overview of this whole section so i want you to notice this i'm going to have five points i don't know if i'm going to get to all five but the first one i want you to notice is in verse one there is an angel this is a uh, uh i'm calling number one a messenger uh, a messenger in this case is the word for angel and angel is his here so the messenger by way of question, would be, who is this angel? It's an unusual angel. We say in verse 1, this messenger is referred to in verse 1 as, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven. So the messenger is an angel. And I guess I, I want to say this about this. There is so much controversy over this, and there doesn't need to be that much controversy. Look at, look at the, if we had a Greek text, I could show you, but when John says, first of all, I saw, do you remember he said, he's, we've seen that several times, when it says in verse 1, and I saw, that's a, that's a new vision. That some, means he is seeing something new here. This is different. He is seeing something brand new, following the vision of the trumpets in which he has seen and heard, and the blowing of those six trumpets. John now sees something new. It's a turn in the vision, introducing something not yet seen. And so what is it? Well, it's a strong angel, it says here. That's the messenger. And this is to say it's not one of a, the trumpet angels. 
Uh, they were identified for us. This is a, a different angel, referred to as a strong angel. And uh, there, there is a word here when it says here, I saw another Another here is there's two different Greek words that, that could be used here. Another of a different kind or another of the same kind. And this word in the Greek, it is another of exactly the same kind as the rest of the angels. And I know people say, well, this is Jesus here because he's, he's got the rainbow and his feet are described and the cloud and the clothing. All of this refers to Jesus, but I don't think it is Jesus. I think right here, if I had no other proof, it would be this word another and i saw another another of the exact same kind in other words he's saying i saw another exact same kind of angel now granted this is a, a, a probably a higher up angel but if it were christ it would not have used that word because if you're going to call christ an angel it certainly would not be true that he was an angel just like the rest of the angels because all of the rest of the angels were created and god is the creator God wasn't created. So, if it were to refer to Christ, it would use a different word there. As John identifies the Lord Jesus in Revelation, he always gives clear to uh, unmistakable title. And after all, this is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is a strong angel, I think, that he is speaking of here. And furthermore, it's strange for him to take an oath here, making the oath that an angel makes in verses 5 and 6. The angel stands on the sea, lifts up his hand in air to swear, and then makes an oath. Very strange to see the Lord Jesus raising his hand to the Creator who's not there when he is the Creator. Then another point, another angel, strong angel, in fact, clearly it's not Christ. Uh, well, you see this in other places of the Bible, especially Revelation, where strong angel there is, is definitely another angel. And so... And I know there's there's still all kinds of things we could say to prove this is not Jesus, but is, a, in fact, a strong angel. But it's best to see this as a strong angel. Angels appear in chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 18. No reason to make this Christ at all. And the only reason I'm even saying that was you would probably read this and think it was an angel because of the simple reading of the text, which is what verse 1 calls this messenger. But others, there's so many commentaries that say this is Jesus. Now, it could be Michael. It could be Gabriel. You read in Daniel chapter 10, for example, or 10 and 12, Jude 9, Revelation 12, about those mighty angels. Michael, for example, whose name means who is like God, would certainly fit the role of a strong angel. And angels can't have the kind of uh, description that this strong angel has in the way this one is 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 uh, laid out he comes down out of heaven he's clothed with the clouds rainbows upon his head his face is like the sun his feet are like pillars of fire those are the kinds of things that make some folks think that this is christ but there's some angels who had that kind of glory and one of them uh, which would be well known to us, was Lucifer. Lucifer was described like that. In Ezekiel chapter 28, for example, uh, he says, Take up your lamentations over the king of Tyre and say to him, uh, Now this is to the king of Tyre, but behind him is the power, which is Lucifer or Satan. The God, God speaks to him who is behind the king of Tyre, inspiring him. The scriptures uh, say in, in, in referencing Lucifer, you had the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, uh, the, ruby the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the ox, uh, onyx, the, the jasper. Uh, all of these different emeralds and stones and the gold and the workmanship of your setting and the sockets was in you. On that day, you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. This is God speaking to Lucifer. You were on the high mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. There's the kind of glory that can be associated with an angelic being, a created angel. So it's not uncommon to see this kind of a description in referring to an angel here in chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 verse 5, an angel is described as a certain man dressed in linen. His waist was girded with a belt of pure gold. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. Man, if you weren't careful, you'd say, well, that's Jesus there. And actually, some commentaries say that. But here is a tremendous glory ascribed uh, to this angel that could be very well fitting to you to describe even Christ. So what you have then here in chapter 10 of Revelation is the appearance of a glorious, high-ranking, strong angel, one of the mightiest and most powerful, and he's coming down out of heaven. Now this is in contrast to all of the demons that the world has seen in the last two, in the last two sections here of chapter 9. But then notice, look, in this messenger that there is a description here given of his clothing. He's clothed with a cloud. The cloud comprises his robe. The very drapery of the sky floats over his mighty shoulders. God, it's just an amazing thing to see this. This is to make reference as well to his... This is a coming judgment. Uh, this is a, a angel of judgment here. He's definitely uh, partic- helping to participate in judgment. And the, the New Testament use of cloud here is used of divine appearances related to judgment. Uh, even in Matthew chapter 24, Christ coming in the clouds in judgment. Here comes a, a cloud as clothing for this angel. Judgment is associated with lightning and thunder. Certainly fits that. A rainbow upon his head. Quite interesting that a rainbow. Uh, the Greek language used the word iris in the name of... That, that was actually the the name of the the messenger goddess of Olympus in Greek mythology. Her name was Iris. And the word which once identified the splendor of that Greek goddess, the word came to refer to any bright halo surrounding someone. The circle, for example, on a peacock's eyes. uh, I'm reading this out of a a dictionary. The peacock's eyes and their tail feathers was called Iris, but primarily the word came to be used as rainbow. So here is an angel now. Get this, an angel surrounded by uh, this light, multicolored light uh, that we see here. Here is another rainbow. No reason to assign just one color to this rainbow like it did in Revelation chapter 4. Perhaps the rainbow here uh, is, is, is along with the garment of judgment is to balance off his, his uh, coming as a, in judgment and in, in covenant relationship. In Genesis, we saw uh, the testimony here of a, of a rainbow where God gave a, a rainbow as a sign and a promise to the world that he would never destroy the world by water. And that is the sign of his promise. And here is a promise of a rainbow here, given in this interlude. And, and so we, we don't really know all that is here, but we do know this is an, the messenger here. Number one, the messenger 
is perhaps Michael or Gabriel, a very strong angel here. And it, it, it even describes his face here. Uh, look at what it says about his face in verse 1. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. His face was, we see that kind of a description of Christ several times. This, of course, is speaking of blazing glory. In chapter 18, verse 1, you see another angel coming down from heaven, an angel with great strength and great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. In other words, he's like the sun because he comes down out of the sky, and it's like daylight. It's, uh, you, you can even see this kind of a glory on Moses in, in, in Exodus. There's so much glory on the face uh, of, of this glory in Revelation chapter 18, it makes me think of the glory that was on Moses' face in Exodus. Now listen, if the, va- if the face of an angel could be like the sun, which gives us such a brilliant daylight as we experience today, what must the full face of the glory of God be like? No wonder the Bible says that no one can see it and not be consumed, incinerated instantaneously, and then it says his feet, talking about his appearance, are like pillars of fire. Feet would include his legs. It refers to the unbending holiness of his judgment uh, activity uh, that is, is being represented here. Uh, he, here comes a judgment angel dressed in a cloud with fiery legs and feet, indication of the way in which he's going to tread out judgment, and the result of which will be incineration of the ungodly. And so this is a pause that, remember, John is seeing this, and he's seeing this strong angel come down out of heaven, and he sees what he's, this, he's given us this description here. It's, it just makes you wonder, what was John thinking as he is seeing, being privileged to see all this? And then in his hand, we see that his hand has a little book which is open. And of course, we speak of, uh, we ask the question immediately, well, what is that little book? You see in verse 2, it says, And he had a, in his hand a little book which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea and on the, his left on the land. A little bit out of proportion here, because this is one big angel. And he is speaking, and he has this little book in his hand. And to answer the question, I believe, without going through all of the the detail of this, I believe this is the same scroll that is in chapter 5 of Revelation. And I think that, that these six seals, the book is now fully opened and all of the judgments are laid out. And so I think that same book that we see uh, that was taken up by the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 5 was the seven sealed scroll was written in it, the description of the judgment by which God would take back the earth Remember that when we were in Revelation 5, we suggested that it represented the title deed to the earth. Satan's usurper has possession. The usurper has possession of the universe now, including the earth. But the day is coming with Christ is going to take it. He is the rightful heir. He's going to take back the earth. The little scroll then in Revelation 5, when unrolled, reveals the whole process by which the Lord Jesus would judge the world and take possession of his universe. That's what tribulation is going to look like. It's all wrapped up in the scroll and all of the judgments laid out. So the book then is the title deed to the earth and its environment. And 
And as those seals were broken one by one, the judgments fell. Now remember, the seventh seal has been broken. And with the breaking of the seventh seal, the rest of the judgments are visible. So when the seventh seal is broken, we're coming up real soon, you can see the seven trumpets, you can see the bowls. So it's all revealed. So in chapter 10, verse 2, the little book in the hand of the strong angel was opened. So he's holding completely open scroll of the same book in Revelation 5. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is several very good writers say this is a second book. Uh, that's not identified for us. They say it's a second book. It has nothing to do with Revelation 5. Well, I think it's the exact same book. I don't want to get too technical about that, but I think the, the wording that we have in the description of the, of the language of the, of the Greek here is that this is a book that is completely open and it's in a smaller version because it doesn't mean that it's a, a little book. It just further identifies it. So we shouldn't be surprised that it's to be considered a little book. After all, it's in the hand of of, of, of God in chapter 5 and then in the hand of this angel. So in the vision, it's needed to be made smaller for the sake of symbolism since I think John was going to have to eat it. That's what's going to come a little later in this chapter. It had to be small enough for John to eat. So in the vision, it appears small. Now, this is, is a very interesting thing about this, this messenger, is this is what he has. He, he has a description here of the messenger, which could be Michael or Gabriel, and he has this book. And then number two on the outline, instead of uh, number one was a messenger, number two is movement. And uh, it's a very unusual movement. He places his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. That's pretty unusual. That, again would show you the massive proportion of the angel in this vision. He's huge. He can stand on the land and the sea, so the vision that John is seeing was not a vision of normal proportions. Well, what is the point of all this? Well, I think that the point of all this is that Satan has controlled the earth and the sea. He has been the usurper, the prince of the world, and now God's put his foot down. That's basically it. God's put his foot down. He's put his right foot on the sea. His left on the land. Why? Because the earth and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. That's the point. This action then demonstrates sovereign authority in judgment. And boy, what, what do we need more than that? I don't know. We need to know that God is in control. What actual better message could we have for believers today? Instead of worrying and fretting over where is American prophecy? Are we going down or are we going to uh, be a, a, a really a world power in the end? Or are we going to be taken captive or destroyed? Listen, God is sovereign and he is in control. I can't say where all it's going, but I know that my God is, is reigning. Now, let's take a step further. The first series of judgments judge what percentage of the world. We saw that one-fourth of the world dies and in, in, uh, we saw that in Revelation chapter 6. And now, one-third I died just here last time with the, the uh, demonic army that killed one-third of mankind. So the picture of the angel putting his foot on the sea and on the land and the judgment that is going to be the whole world is, is uh, demonstrative. He's describing this. And look at what he says in verse 3. He cried out with a loud voice as with a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now this reflects again the awesomeness of the power and authority of this messenger. 
a representative of God. This angel has come to execute God's final judgment. His form is massive. His voice is massive as well. Now, it's interesting if we had time to go back into the Old Testament and really take a look at all that would be there as far as this given description of the the, the roar of the angels and the, the voice, uh, the, the, the massiveness of this. A glorious, mighty angel we see here is symbolic and picturesque of, of the really of the Old Testament. Mighty angel garbed in judgment, uh, dressed in judgment, coming with fiery legs and feet to stamp out the judgment of God. In his hand, he has a title deed to do this. It maps out his direction and the course of the judgment, which is to follow. He cries with this loud voice like thunder, uh, like a lion roaring, and associated with that are seven peals of thunder, uttering their voices. And again, as you know, because of past discussions that we had in Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 6, uh, thunder is also associated with judgment. And it does suit well, doesn't it? The fact that his shoulders were garbed with clouds, and these clouds carrying the thunder and the lightning of God's judgment. All right, I think that's uh, that's good for chapter uh, chapter ten that I can go for today. I just gave you number one, the messenger; number two, the movement. So I've still got to get the message that he gives, uh, the special uh, meaning in the message, and the means of the message. And so we'll have to do that next time. But for now, this is William Rogers. Thanking you so much for listening to Hope for the Heart. And again, I just want to reiterate to those of you that are believers, uh, keep reading your word. God is on the throne and He is in control. No matter what may happen, God is in control. Stay strong and stay prayerful. Pray for one another during these difficult times. And I thank you for listening today.